Afternoon, everyone. Good to see you here. Glad to see our visitors found us in the basement of a hotel. Uh, not always easy either to find the hotel or even if you're staying in the hotel to find the church that's in the hotel when Google's telling you to get in your car or take a walk. But anyway, everyone found their way here. Um, today I want to spend just a few minutes talking about a couple, just a couple of points, two points, um, that I found, I've recently found interesting about Christians' responsibility to the local church. Um, in my past, and I, and I think in, in other places when I've heard about a Christian's responsibility to the church spoken about, it's been primarily money. Uh, you need to give more money, and this is not what this lesson is going to be. <laughs> uh, I think that's more a Christian's responsibility to other Christians. That's why we collect here, is we have responsibilities to other Christians. Um, the church's goal isn't to stockpile money. Uh, Christian's goal is to ease the suffering of other Christians. So that's all I'm going to say about the collection. This is something totally different. Um, if you want to turn to Ephesians 5, that's, that'll be the first passage that we look at. <clears throat> I don't know if I'm famous or infamous for my two-point lessons, but everyone's thankful that I don't go to a third point. Uh, even my two-point lessons are long enough. Um, so I, I, I'm going to say some things that are hard for me if, if I was sitting in your seat to hear. Um, it may not be hard for you to hear. You may already, I mean, this may just be something you've heard or you, you, you live or you think this way uh, already. Um, but for someone who has you know, trouble dealing with pride, uh, these, these are not easy things uh, to hear. So if it is hard for you to hear, my challenge to you is um, don't just say, well, that's hard for me to hear. Um, look into the scripture and show that I'm teaching falsehood uh, and, and bring that to my attention. Don't just say, well, you know, that's a tough thing. Um, show that it's false or if it's true, right, submit to it. Um, so uh, one reason I say that is this lesson is for me. Uh, like I said, if I was sitting there and someone was saying these things to me, it would be hard. Um, but these are the lessons I like to present because I don't do it from a position of pride. I do it from a, a position of uh, I need to hear this, and I haven't, I haven't, uh, I haven't figured this out myself yet. So, um, with that said, let's look in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter five. If you're familiar with Ephesians, we're into the practical side. Right? The first three chapters of Ephesians are very theological. All of these truths about Jesus and truths about God and truths about us. This is what the church is. This is what God has done. This is who Jesus is. These are the blessings you have. Just statements of fact, one after the other. Boom, 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 boom. Chapter 4, he starts to say, now, because of that, here's what you do. Here's how you're different. And one of those ways is in, in Ephesians chapter 5, if we look at... Um, well, I'll, I'll start reading in verse 15. The point I want to point I want to get to is in, in verse 21. Ephesians 5:15, 
Paul says, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with, with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now this passage is kind of in the midst of, you know, chapters 4 to 6, kind of, you know, this summary thing. He says, therefore, right, be careful how you walk, don't be foolish, sing. I mean, he's, he's kind of summarizing some things that, that are kind of generic. And then this statement in verse 21, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. It's a very broad, generic statement, and he's really just laying the groundwork for what he's about to get into, right? He starts, he, he, in verse 21, he says, hey, you Christians, well, in Ephesus, I mean, he's, he's writing to Ephesus, right? You Christians there, but now that we have this text, right, he's talking to all of us. Hey, you Christians, be subject to one another, period. Then he gets into, hey, wives, be subject to your husbands. Hey, slaves, be subject to your masters. You know, he, children, be subject to your parents. He, he gets into the specifics later. But he lays the groundwork in 521. Well, this is, this is the verse I want to talk about first, is point one. Being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That is a responsibility placed on Christians in a local congregation. You can't be subject to someone you're not around. Right? Our visitors are not to subject themselves to us. Right? They're, they're out of town. They're away from their homes. Their responsibility is to subject themselves to their home congregations. Right? So, what does this mean? Subject, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. You know, I don't like thinking about this for longer than maybe 10 or 20 seconds. <laughs> you know, because the first 10 or 20 seconds, you know, I, I'm kind of vague enough, and I'm like, yeah, I'm subject. And then I start thinking about specifics, and I, you know, I, all right, let's think about something else. This is long, this has gone on long enough. Um, so, I, you know, I soothe my conscience sort of by saying, well, you know, I'm nice to people. You know, I don't, I, I'm not mean to people, that means I'm subject. That's not true. <laughs> it's good to be nice to people. It's good not to be mean to people. It has nothing to do with being subject to them. At all. Like, it's totally unrelated. But that's how I soothe my conscience. Well, I'm nice. I'm a get-along kind of guy. That's not subjection. Um, or I, or I, you know, I, I do this. No one has demanded anything of me so I'm kind of subject by default. <laughs> no one's asked anything from me. If they had, yeah, I would, I would do it. I'd be subject to them, but no one's asked me. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm subject. Not true. Not true. That doesn't make you subject because people haven't asked you. Uh, if you're in, in my shoes, it's probably because you've made a clear don't ask me, <laughs> right? I kind of have that attitude of like, when somebody asks me something, I get all frustrated, okay, fine, right? And then they don't ask the second or third or fourth time. I've sort of laid the groundwork so it doesn't happen again, right? 
And now, then you know, I'm in my 40s, people know, don't ask Richard. So I, I get to soothe my conscience by saying, well, no one's asking me anything. So by default, I'm, I'm subject to my brethren. False. Not true. Um, I don't do this so much anymore. I think I've grown out of this, but this was a big part of me. Well, I, I serve more than Joe or Sue. I do more than them. That makes me subject somehow. I mean, I, you don't have to be logical when you're trying to justify yourself, right? <laughs> so just, just go along with me. When you're trying to justify yourself, you don't have to be logical. It's an emotional thing most of the time, right? So for me, right, well, you know, I... And of course, the immaturity in that is I have no idea what Joe and Sue are doing. Because if they're doing it right, I'll never know. Right? If they're serving God, like Matthew 5, 6, 7 talks about, I'll never know what they're doing. In fact, their left hand won't know what their right hand is doing. Right? But it, it soothes my conscience when I think about, well, I need to subject myself to my brothers and sisters by saying, well, I probably do more than them. <clears throat> That's false. The, I, you know, so I looked up this word, also trying to justify myself. Like, well, maybe it's not as hard a word as I'm thinking of. You know, Maybe it is more like be nice. And it's not. Um, in, uh, in Luke, when Jesus... Uh, uh, when Jesus stays behind in the temple, you know, when he's, a, when he's a child, his parents have traveled down the road, and they come back, and they're like, hey, you know, what were you thinking? Like, we were, we've been looking for you. Right? And he says, well, you know, I, you know I had to be about my father's business, or I had to be in my father's house, you know, however it's translated, whatever. But it says right after that, he continued in subjection to his parents. Identical Greek word. Same Greek word. So, a child who is deity, which means that he carried out life on this planet perfectly, subjected himself to his parents in his childhood. That's the same word used for us subjecting ourselves to each other. So, like, That's hard to hear. <laughs> when, when, you, when, you, when you state a want or a desire, I'm supposed to think of that as like my parents saying, giving me a, a task. Right? Not an order, but a task. Hey, Richard, I'd really like this done. Um, it's the same word. When the, the 70 disciples went out, Jesus sent them out, and then they all came back, and they were amazed, and they said, to Jesus, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Same word. It just kept getting worse. Every time I looked up this word, <laughs> and I looked for examples of this word of like, okay, show me how, how I'm supposed to be subject to my brethren and make it easier on me than I'm finding. It kept getting harder. Okay, so like the attitude demons have toward the name of Jesus is the word that I'm supposed to employ in my relationship. Not, not in totally, right? I'm not supposed to 
like fear you and all that kind of stuff. But in relation to authority, that's supposed to be my attitude toward toward you, individually, like each each one. Is that I'm in I'm in subjection to you, each one. Hey guys, uh, there's a couple seats up here. Yep. <coughs> So that's, that's, how the, that's where the word and that's how the word is used in other parts of the text, right? And, it, and like I said, it's the, same, it's the same Greek word. Be in subjection to one another, right? Well, what does that look like in practice? I mean, you know, I don't have, I haven't lived at home under my parents' authority for 25 years. I mean, I remember, right? But I remember it as a child, right? So I've got all the emotions of like, well, I don't want to do that. And, right? That's all kind of tied up in that. But what I have to do is carry, I have to carry forward the correct attitude to today. So what, what does it look like? Um, well, I'll make, a, I'll make a statement of what it is before I describe the picture, right? It looks like this. It looks like you making it your personal job in this congregation or in your home congregation. Your personal job to find out what others' preferences are and you working to satisfy those preferences. That's what it looks like. So when I give the excuse, well, no one's demanded in anything of me so I'm, I'm by default I'm in subjection to everyone else because no one's asking me anything no one's de- making any demands on me well the reason that's false is I haven't done a good job of finding out what you want I don't know you well enough to know how to spend my time serving you that is not your problem that's my problem so what it looks like is, well, it starts out as conversations. Hey, Kelly, how do you like to spend your free time? And, and not as just chit-chat, but like, I'm trying to learn more about how Kelly spends his free time so I can learn how to spend my free time right, serving him. And I'm not talking even about spiritual things. I'm just talking about life things, right? People things, human things. As, as Christians in a local body... What Paul told the Christians in Ephesus was be subject to one another in love. And that's a very strong word. And I can't do that if I don't know you. And even if I know your name, I can't do that if I don't know anything about you. Right? So it looks like me finding out more about you. What do you prefer? What helps you in your walk? Right in your spiritual walk, obviously our focus should be the spiritual welfare of each other, right? But sometimes there are physical problems in this world that cause spiritual stumbling blocks, right? There can be a burden on us so heavy physically, right, that we get distracted spiritually and start to slide. We start to stumble. 
Well, I don't excuse myself by saying, well, you know, their problem is just a physical problem. I'm going to go find some spiritual problem to, to fix because I'm a spiritual person. Nope. That's not being in subjection. Being in subjection says, I see a need. I'm going to fill the need. Before it becomes a spiritual stumbling block. Why do I have to wait for someone's faith to get either destroyed or shaken or, or chipped and cracked before I'm going to say, well, okay, I'll serve them in this physical way now that their faith is on the line. If I had been in subjection in the first place, I would have been distraught over their physical need and said, all right, we've got to take care of this because you're more important than I am. I am subject to you. This is hard. <laughs> I don't know if it's a cultural thing or if it's a Richard thing or what, but man, this mindset, this is not the mindset I, I live out on a daily basis. It's not the mindset I'm taught to live out in work, right? In work, you drive, you enforce, you get done. School's the same way, right? That is not the way of a Christian. You know, uh, I don't know if engineering ever came in and changed the thermostat. I think they must have. But it it was funny. I made this note yesterday when I was putting this sermon together. When's the last time you asked someone here what temperature they prefer the thermostat to be on? (laughs) Right? Usually, and I'm going to be straight up honest here. Usually I ask people because I really do care. But right underneath me caring is like I'm looking for somebody who agrees with me. (laughs) (laughs) Please say it's hot because I'm hot. And if you tell me it's cold, I'm moving on. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, you're not the person I was trying to find. I need to go serve somebody else who's hot like me. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm kind of joking, but I'm not. Right? In the back of my head, I, I, I really am like looking for, to build a coalition. <laughs> How many hot people we got in here? All right, let's knock this down. You, you cold people, I'll take off my coat. I'll be nice to you. Right? But you, you, you understand what I'm saying, right? When, when is the last time we asked someone a preference about something small like that, really interested in finding out how we could make, make them more comfortable, better, whatever, right? Um, without even that secondary kind of tertiary behind-the-scenes ulterior motive, right? Um, and even if that's there, right, dismissing it and saying, I'm not going to act on that. I'm going to act on this. Um, you know, I, I kind of mentioned this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the question to you. I'm going to ask you, like, you know, individually think about this. When is the last time you used your free time, right, just to do something someone else wanted to do, right, only? And this one is a hard one for me because I've like converted half the congregation to be soccer fans. <laughs> so like I like soccer, so I started just dragging people to soccer matches, and now they're soccer fans. So I'm like, oh great, now I'm serving them because they like soccer. You know? Well, no, right? Um, you know, when's the last time like you you even knew 
how to use your free time, like I mentioned earlier with Kelly. Like, yeah, all right, I got this free time. I got this block of free time. I know it's coming up two, three, four days down the road, whatever. And I want to use it. And then you sit there and you're like, I don't know how anyone else uses their free time. I don't know if that happens to you, but that happens to me. It's like, I don't know the people I worship with well enough to know right off the bat, yeah, I'm going to use this free time with Robin like this. Because I'm at a loss. Right? I haven't even... And, and the things I'm describing are like the foundation of being in, being in subjection to one another. Right? I mean, this is like the base, base, base level. Like, how do you even start being in subjection to one another? Because you, you could have someone who's just a bossy person come in and say, I want the carpet this way, and I want the temperature here, and I want this like that. Well, that's not fun for anybody, but it's easy to be in subjection. You just say, okay, as long as those things aren't sinful, I'm, I'm down. Let's just do all those things, right? And it's not fun, right? It's not comfortable, but... Yeah, you, you can say, all right, I'm, I'm in subjection to someone because they're a really demanding person. There's nothing wrong with that. We just don't have those personalities here. I mean, if you want me to, I can do that. Actually, no, I can't. I, just, I don't have that in me, right? So I, it's not true. I, I, I couldn't be that person. And I'm not saying, hey, if you've been hiding that, you should unleash that on the rest of us, right? That's not what I'm asking for. But what I'm saying is because we don't have someone that's just trying to be this overlord of the environment of the room, right, or whatever, that we lose this, this being in subjection to one another thing, right? Because I've been in congregations where there's the guy or the gal, both, either one, right, who has an opinion about everything, and their opinion isn't just an opinion, it's right, right? Well, it's kind of easy and kind of hard in that situation to be in subjection. Because it's easy because it's like, all right, I know exactly what they want. But man, they want something every 15 minutes. And that's what makes it hard is you're like, okay, well, I'm giving in to this person and I'm satisfying all their needs and wants and I'm just kind of feeding the, the fire of this bossiness, right? So then you start saying, well, you know, maybe I need to back off, right? And all of that's true, right? Because... There is a qualifier in Ephesians 5.21, right? Being in subjection in the fear of Christ, right? Your concern for them is their relationship with Christ, your relationship with Christ, right? So I'm not saying you want to feed somebody that's going to create a bad attitude in them either, right? But I'm just saying, <coughs> we're not excused. <clears throat> we're not excused from being in subjection to one another because there's not some bossy person here telling us everything they want. We need to seek it out. I want to be in subjection to the people here. And I'm going to find out how to do that. Right? That's point one. You see why I don't do three-point sermons. Point two. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. This, this is where our reading was this morning. Hebrews 10, uh, we're going to look in specifically verses 24 and 25. We read 19 through 25. For me, this, for, this is one of the, the most amazing passages in the Bible because the author has spent nine and a half chapters discussing some of the most 
intricate and sometimes heavy theology, right? To come to verse 19 of chapter 10, which is the therefore statement, this is what, this is what it means, right? This is what you do with nine and a half chapters of everything that I've talked about. This is what you do with it. There's, there, there's these three let us's in, in this passage. Uh, let me get there real quick. Yeah, verse 19. Um, well, right, he's, he's summarizing all nine and a half chapters here. We have confidence to enter the holy place by a new and living way, which is inaugurated through the veil, which is his flesh. And verse 21, since we have a great high priest, right? He's just summarizing everything he said in nine and a half chapters. Verse 22, let us draw near, right? This nine and a half chapters of Hebrews says you should draw near. Okay, that's great. Let us draw near with a sincere heart, full assurance of faith. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. All right, that's the second let us. All of this that I've told you about for nine and a half chapters is what I, I, wanted, to get, I wanted you to get. Draw near to God, hold fast to the confession of your faith. In verse 24, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Let us consider, consider how to provoke one another, you know, whatever. The, the point is, our responsibility to each other here in this church, right, as a local congregation, one another, is to provoke each other to love more or love better and to do more good deeds. It's a responsibility that's laid down at the end of nine and a half chapters of Hebrews. I mean, it's not the only thing, right? It's one of three of, of what we're supposed to do because of, of the truths that he's told us. How do we do that? Look in verse 25. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Part of the responsibility to provoke one another to love and good works is to be together, to assemble. Now, in my past, this verse was used to say, you need to be in church on Sunday. I don't think that's at all what he's talking about here. I think it provides maybe some more impetus. Hey, the church is together on Sunday. You should be in church on Sunday. But... I mean, if, I, if I'm writing a letter to people who don't gather together on Sundays, right, I'm not going to say, yeah, you need to be together so you provoke one another to love and good deeds. I'm going to be like, no, you need to be together so that you remember the death of your Lord in the Lord's Supper. You're forsaking the partaking of the Lord's Supper. What's wrong with you people? Right? That's, I mean, that's what I would be writing if people were forsaking the Lord's Supper together. He's not saying that. He's saying, what you're failing to do by abandoning these gatherings is you're failing to provoke one another to love and, and good works. I think he's talking about different gatherings. I think he's talking about gatherings that have nothing to do with corporate worship practices. Mm. Right? Now, don't, don't get me wrong, right? There are, I think there are other places we can go to, to say, you need to be here when we meet to take the Lord's Supper. There's other places in, in the Scripture that emphasize the Lord's Supper and Christians being together for that. I just don't think this is one of them. Right? Um, so what kind of gatherings are we talking about? Well, I mean, an easy one to look in the New Testament, an easy one for first century was the gatherings to eat meals at each other's homes. 
happened all over the place, right? I mean, I think that's the first gathering mentioned in Acts chapter 2. Is that they went, you know, not 3,000 people, right? We know that the church in Jerusalem was 3,000 people. You didn't have 3,000 people show up at Jim's home and eat a meal at Jim's home, okay? Uh, I'm, I'm I'm not saying that's what was going on. But I... I think what they're describing is the people who lived around Jim, you know, on Thursday they came over and they ate here at Jim and they went to Sue and the next day or, you know, whatever. I'm not say, even saying they did it seven days a week. I'm just saying the practice was there. The Christians who were persecuted, they were a minority in the, in the city. They were surrounded by people who were persecuting them. The government was persecuting them, had killed Jesus, right? They sought out time with each other to provoke one another to love and good works. So I think that's one. I think another one was what we did at 10.30 this morning and what we're going to do at 2 o'clock later today. Can you think of any gathering that's designed specifically to provoke one another to love better and do more good works than a Bible study? I, I couldn't come up with one. I don't think that's what our corporate worship is about. Our corporate worship is about glorifying God, praising God, thanking Jesus for what he's done for us. That's what worship is. It's focused on him, right? Provoking one another to love and good works is focused on each other. Well, a Bible study does that, right? So if we get back into this context, reasoning from this context, right? Nine and a half chapters was just spent in Hebrews to say, you guys need to spend time together more than you're doing because there are some I'm aware of, right? I'm paraphrasing all this. There are some I'm aware of who have abandoned that. They don't do that. Whether he's talking about entire congregations that have abandoned it or individuals that abandoned it, it doesn't matter. The result is the same. There are Christians who are not meeting together with other Christians, provoking one another to love and good works. <clears throat> We have that responsibility. And I think we can do better in that. Here at Intel. I think we can do better. I have maybe had half of this congregation to my house once or twice in the four and a half years we've been meeting. That does not at all resemble the first century church. Not in the least does that resemble the first century church. Right? So, I'm going to put the question to you, right? You have to evaluate this. So why aren't you there? And I'm thinking about, like, I'm not, you don't answer to me. I'm, I'm, I'm posing this question from the perspective of the text forcing you to answer the question. The text forces you to answer the question. Why aren't you at the Bible study? Why aren't you at the, why aren't you at the meal? Why aren't you at the gathering? Why aren't you hosting the meal? Well, you know, what, whatever it is, why aren't you there? Because the answers, when you, start, when you actually start speaking the answers into air, it gets really embarrassing. There's only, two, there's only two answers that are the form for every answer you can give. Either I can't or I won't. It's the only two answers you can give. 
or I'm dead. I mean, <laughs> but that's kind of an I can't. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I can't or I won't. There isn't another answer. I, I, I spent a lot of time trying to come up with another answer. Like, well, maybe somebody's got a gun on me. Okay, that's an I can't. Well, you know, maybe I made plans. Well, that's an I won't because I could, but I won't because I won't break these plans, right? The reason you're not there is either I can't or I won't. And if you're honest with yourself, most of the time it's I won't. It is for me. Most of the time for me it's I won't. Very seldom do I run into an I can't. Yeah. All right. Those are my two points. So now we're at the conclusion. Don't, don't buy into the culture that's around you that's telling you stay detached. Don't invest. Stay above the fray, so to speak, right? You're an individual. Don't, 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 don't buy into this family, this church thing because it just leads to pain. People are going to be people and you're going to get hurt. They're going to do you wrong. All that is absolutely true. But it's a false reason to not do it. The reason we do it, right, is so that we have this network that when one person does either go off the rails through sin, there's some strength to pull them back up. If there's no investment and we're all just kind of individuals saying, you know what, I'm detached. Well, even if you never fall in sin, which you kind of already have, if that's your attitude, but leaving that aside, if someone else does, you are powerless to help them because you have no relationship with them. You've never been in subjection to that person. And they know it. That person knows it. Get attached to your brothers and sisters. Get invested in them. Seek to know them and their preferences so that you can actually prefer them to yourself. Which is what you're called to do. Related to that, um, for this church here, gather when this church gathers. I mean, that's all. That's really all that's there. But gather with a purpose, right? I can come and sit in this chair and say, "Check, <clears throat> gathered," right? But have you fulfilled the purpose of provoking me to love better, to love more, and to do more good works? You haven't, right? You sort of just you sort of just parked. Right? And you said, well, I'm parked. Now, I'm, I'm saying that I don't know anyone here who has that attitude. Right? I mean, I, I, and I'm, I'm not saying that to kind of gloss over. I don't know anyone here who has that attitude. I've been in churches where, where I had that attitude. And I've been in churches where I've seen other people. Right? But for our visitors, I say the same thing to you. When you go home, right? do the same thing. Gather for a purpose. Not just I'm here so, so you encourage me, right? I'm here to get something from you. What are you, getting, what are you giving me? Nope. You've got to flip that around. Who can I give encouragement to in the few minutes I've got? Who can I encourage? 
You know, if, if you abandon corporate worship, I think you're going to have to answer a different question, right? The question from the text today and from God in judgment is, why didn't you remember my son? That's a different question, right? The question from the text and the question I believe in judgment for, you know, why you never gathered with the saints outside of corporate worship is going to be a different one. It's going to be like, were they not important enough to you? What was more important? Why didn't you see the value? Right? Because I created the church and you didn't see the value in it. You just saw the value in corporate worship. That's great. But you don't value my church. Right? So that's the conclusion. Like I said, I absolutely did not prepare or present this sermon from a perspective of having figured this out. I have, I have spent the, the vast majority of my Christian life on the wrong side of this, this sermon. And that's not hyperbole, guys. <laughs> that's like legit. That's, that's real. Um, and I'm still fighting these things today in my life. Right? Like, man, I got to make time for them too, <laughs> right? That's what creeps up. Yes, Richard, they should be first. And you've got to figure out how to fit the rest of your life into them, right? That's the answer. So that's the lesson. If you, if you need to talk to someone here um, about this, right, if it's, it's something that you just want to talk about and say, hey, I want to do better. Can you help me do better? Maybe we can... We can talk about this. I can tell you one thing that I'm going to do for sure is when the holidays are over, I'm going to, I'm going to invite you guys over to my house for spaghetti because that's all I can make. <laughs> I got a big crock pot. I can fill it with six quarts of spaghetti sauce, and then I know how to boil noodles. So, I can make meatballs. Okay, and then we'll get meatballs, right? So, I'm, like, legitimately, this is, not, this is not a theoretical kind of thing. I'm, I'm going to try to do this as soon as I can after everybody's done traveling for the holidays, right? Um, I think we all need to try to figure out how we can encourage one another in that. Um, we're going we're gonna to sing a song now. The purpose of this song is to help you think about your, your attitude and your position with respect to the lesson in particular, but primarily with your, your uh, position with respect to Christ and God. This lesson does not mean a thing if you're outside the church. I mean the church universal. I don't mean this church. If you're not a Christian, this lesson, I mean, it's nice that Christians do this, but if you're not a Christian, it doesn't save you to start inviting people to your house for dinner. That doesn't forgive you of your sins, right? So think about whatever position you're in and if you need help to be better in that as we stand and as we sing.